Welcome to All the Things with theology mom, Krista Bontrager. Welcome to All the Things. This is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom, and I know you thought we were done for the year, but this is a special edition of the show simply because I thought the topic was so important. We did a show a few weeks ago with Joy who works at a major Christian university, she's an associate dean, spent a whole hour kind of breaking down the issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how that has been coming into Christian higher ed. Well, this past week, I have had a series of conversations about another thing that is happening in Christian higher ed and in other spaces too, not just that, but is uh, come in and I thought it was so important and it was a great follow-up to that show. And I have had so much feedback about that conversation with Joy. I have another very special guest that I am excited to introduce you to. We're gonna be talking about a tool that is used in a lot of places. In particular, it's used in higher education and in that includes Christian higher education, but also Christian ministries. I've heard of some churches using this. Um, and it's a tool called the Intercultural Development Inventory Tool. And we're gonna talk to a very special guest who has been researching this tool and has some interesting thoughts about it from a Christian point of view. So let me get my guest on here, Dr. Heather Peterson. Welcome, Heather. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, maybe you should uh, tell us a little bit about where you are. You're, I know you're, you're a professor at a Christian university, and we'll just kind of get into it. Yeah, I am a professor. Um, I'm an associate professor at a Christian university, and I am in the English and literature department. And actually, I can I can kind of share a little bit on um, my background of why I'm interested in this tool is that 15 years ago when I finished my PhD, a big part of my PhD was applying critical theory. And I really had to think through it. In fact, I would say I spent several years thinking through what's called post-structuralism, which is pretty much critical theory, like all those weird people you hear about, like Foucault, right? Oh, yes. My daughter, yes. who is an English major at Biola, has told me all about post-structuralism and all the things that she learned as an English major. So, yeah, I'm a little familiar with all of that. Yeah, and one of the things I would say that... Um, well, I have a lot of, I would say I have a lot of criticisms of post-structuralism, but one thing that it does well is it has you look at assumptions. And so it kind of did train me to start looking at assumptions of things. And especially when it comes to these issues of race, I keep looking at assumptions and I got very curious about the framework for this particular tool. So we're going to be talking about an article that Heather wrote. Um, it was published on the mereorthodoxy.com website. So Heather, why don't you talk to us a little bit about 
just big picture, because we're going to get into some of the details here, but what is this article and, and what prompted you to write this? Yeah, so this tool is being used a lot by Christian organizations, and I think you're going to show actually a website in a little bit that lists some of those Christian organizations. And I actually took a portion of it once and I immediately felt uncomfortable with it. I immediately felt like, oh, wait, this is trying to trick me. And I think it's actually questioning something about my theology. Uh, and I've had other people say the, the same thing to me. And I decided it was time to dig in and see what the framework is. This tool has been statistically validated, right? Like yeah. <laughs> that's a hard word for me to say, I guess, statistically validated uh, multiple, multiple times. And it's really hard to find any critique of it. In fact, I only found one negative article and then one thesis or dissertation that kind of questioned a little bit at the end. But everything else, I mean, it's just a huge preponderance of positive articles about this, this tool. And so I thought, I think I'm going to dig into it and look at the research behind it, look at the framework behind it. So I read loads of articles on it had this really great opportunity where the last two weeks of my uh well the last two weeks of my i guess my life before my children got out of school <laughs> after the semester where i just spent two weeks digging into the framework and found unfortunately kind of what i was expecting to to find which is that it really is a tool that I think should not be used for Christians because it is questioning some of their basic beliefs. Well, that's a good kind of 30,000 foot orientation to where we're going. And I think that it is important for us to consider. Um, I just thought your, your observation was so astute that there really weren't many voices out there analyzing it or criticizing it bringing up concerns about it, it's it's just sort of overwhelmingly affirmed mm -hmm. and um, not really much in terms of Christian worldview analysis. And so I think it'll be really valuable for us to, to dig into this a little bit more. Now, I want to let people know that one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was because we have received at the Center for Biblical Unity several questions about this inventory. And again, it's called the Intercultural Development Inventory. Sometimes it's abbreviated on the internet as IDI. And over the last 18 months, we've had several letters about this. And your article, Heather, was really the first one that I've come across that provides that thoughtful comment through the lens of the Christian worldview. And I've been very hesitant about commenting on it because I just didn't feel fully informed. And I had some intuitions and some hunches, but when I read your article, it all started clicking and I'm like, you know what, we, we need to talk about this and let more people know about this and at least raise the questions, you know, mm -hmm. what is happening here? So let's start with maybe a short summary of what the IDI actually is. What is it supposed to be measuring? So it is a, it's a 50 point multiple choice assessment. And it is supposed to measure where you are on an intercultural development continuum. It was developed by someone named, I believe, Milton Bennett. 
and that continuum is going to start at polarization, work its way up to, I'm going to be a little confused or I might be wrong, denial, polarization. I know you have this on a screen too somewhere, but anyway, it's going to start with all what's called mono, monocultural mon mindsets and work its way up to intercultural mindsets, which are acceptance and adaptation. Um, and I think the big issues for many Christians is the last one in the monocultural mindset is called minimization. And minimization means that if you focus on similarities in people, you are minimizing because you're not seeking difference. The whole point of this tool is that we should all be seeking difference, which I'm not against in general the concept of seeking difference, but there are some concerns when that's where your focus is. Yeah, that's that's good. And I want to just look at the website here a minute so people can see it. I think Bob's got the link and he's going to put it up on the screen and I want to read the description there. Um, so again, this is the intercultural development inventory. This is from their public web page that you can go to, the Roadmap to Intercultural Competence Using the IDI. So some people may have heard of this term, cultural con competence, intercultural competence. This is, a, this is a phraseology that is growing in a lot of um, educational arenas. And um, Bob's got it highlighted over here to the right, kind of the little description it's the Intercultural Development Inventory, IDI, is the premier cross-culturally valid assessment for building cultural competence in your school or organization. And Mitchell Hammer is the inventor, uh, developer of this tool, from what I understand. So it's really positioning itself as the leading assessment tool in this space. So if you want to build um, and make sure that your staff has cultural competence, this is a tool that is there to help you. That's absolutely how it has positioned itself. Now it's backed, like you've, you've already um, alluded to this, it's backed by a ton of research and scholars. I mean, you can go right on their website and read some of those. But the question that was kind of percolating in my mind is, is this really the neutral measuring tool that it claims to be? No, it is not. It is not neutral. It comes from a framework called constructivism. Constructivism is this idea that as we interact with others, we all have our perceptions of reality and we actually gain our perceptions from other people in those interactions. And there's some truth to that. The issue is that there's no confident knowledge in reality, right? So, I mean, of course, of course, I'm going to sometimes have a wrong perception of reality because I'm affected by sin, <laughs> you know, uh, but there's no confident. So we can't confidently know reality together. And that also means then that there are no objective values or right. There's no transcendent values that we can all agree on too. So when we, I think that it's important, though, to understand that you're really digging deep into what the framework is behind 
all of the, the, the tool and the kinds of questions it's asking. But if people just go on the website, they could immediately be very impressed with what seems to be the statistical validity of, of what they're putting forward. And um, I think that that is part of what creates so much confusion because it puts itself forward as this neutral, valid, um, statistically verified framework and, and tool, but you're calling our attention to, well, what are the assumptions that are underlying mm-hmm. this tool? And I think that that is really important for people to understand. So maybe you can tell us even a little bit more about, about that framework of construction is, const, is it constructivism? That's constructivism. That? Yeah. yeah. It has a, the V in it. Yeah. The constructivism. Yeah. So the originator of the tool, when he originated the continuum, one of his concerns is what he calls transcendental universalism. And what that means is if you believe that there are universal values, you pretty much you're going to be assumed to be ethnocentric. So he actually has, or he and the other designers of the test have specific test items that they're gonna ask, and some of those test items are gonna ask if you believe there are similarities with those around you and then those that you meet. And if you mark that you believe that we all have something in common, you're going to be scored lower under monoculturalism and at least minimization for that item. The same is going to ask, like, there's going to be test questions that ask if you believe in universal values, that people can get together and they'll share some universal values. And if you say you agree to that, you're going to be scored under the monoculturalism side, minimization or polarization or denial. Wow, that's really helpful. So the assessment is measuring Uh, And it's going to downgrade my measurement if I believe in certain universal moral principles or the universal uh, human nature that will automatically kind of push my score down and make it look like what I'm not very, I'm not a very culturally sensitive person. Yes. Yes. Okay. Exactly what it will do. Okay. So in preparation for this interview, um, I wanted to show some sample questions, but found that it was actually remarkably difficult to find them, uh, which tells me that they must really guard a lot of the questions and the intellectual property behind those questions. So we can't share a ton of specifics, but people can go Google it and and see which ones are out there. We don't want to have problems with attorneys or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to flash any questions up here, but in we've given people kind of a general flavor for, for what is, is measured. I mean, I think there probably are questions that I would think that are valid about cultural sensitivity, about wanting to get along with others. It's just the questions that I'm concerned about are the ones that are are testing whether or not we believe in universal values, or as I say in my article, like, that there's something same about all of us because that's p- about being made in the image of God. We do share yeah. the image of God. So we can't deny that there's something the same about all of us. <laughs> Maybe we could walk people through um, some scenarios of how results are presented to people once they complete 
the inventory, like what does that begin to look like? Mm -hmm. So I I would say that one thing that they do well is that they are privately, I mean, they may show a groups, right? They may show a group's results, but they do have an IDI consultant meet privately uh, with individual involved. And so the hope then is that it's not going, those results, the individual results are not supposed to go to employers. I had a, a friend who took it as part of a nonprofit she worked at. It was a secular nonprofit. Uh, the hope is that those results will not be shared with your employers. Uh, but part of all of this is that there is a training around it. So there is an education around the the IDI and you as you meet with the consultant, you're given a plan, a plan that explains each of those categories and where you are. And then you're supposed to come up with activities uh, to begin to engage more interculturally. And they can be the typical kinds of things that we would recommend anyone to do, right? Reflective journaling or reading books or things like that. Or as I put in the article, my friend was asked specifically at the secular organization that you should become an advocate for your LGBTQT co-workers. So so the consultant might make a specific recommendation as well. Yeah. And we have, uh, and again, I just went on Google. So this is something that, you know, I'm just pulling from uh, off Google, but I've got kind of a sample of some test results. I don't know who this person is, but you can, you can kind of see, um, you know, what a, a score might be. Now I notice, you know, there's sort of this, this range, you know, it, it walks you from denial up through mm-hmm. adaptation. And so I'm, I'm guessing that the adaptation level is where people want to go. That's, yes, that's, right. that's the, the end goal. And then I also notice that there's a pre-test score and a post-test score and then a change. So I'm thinking that what this tells me is you take the test once and then you engage in these activities, whether that's mm-hmm. book clubs or discussion groups or, mm-hmm. you know, posting your ally statement or going through trainings, yeah. and then you take the assessment again, and then they give you um, like how you've improved in, in different areas. And so um, is, is that generally how, yeah. how yep. the process that's generally works? generally it, right. And okay. then- then the organization, if all the employees are doing it or, wh- or whoever the group is, they can see have their employees, you know, improved on this continuum, right? Okay. And then they have something to take back to their board. I think that as an employee, this would kind of frighten me. Like yeah. if I was taking this assessment, this is just, just me talking, but even if there was a consultant that said, and they sent me a, a note in my email, like, hey, we're going to all take this inventory and then you're going to meet with a consultant individually. We won't know your scores. I'm not sure I would trust that. I yeah, mean, I'm just yeah. saying like, for me, the it makes me wonder what the atmosphere would be that would be created at that place of employment in taking this test um, and what that could potentially do to morale. And is it, you know, do I really trust that they're, that they're, um, not going to share this with my employer, but that's me. I'm, I'm kind of a suspicious person, but, uh, I am too. (laughs) That makes me nervous. So, um, I think, 
I mean, the anecdotes, and it's been interesting because since I've published the article, I've actually had people email me, um, uh, a woman in grad school email me. I had a person in a major uh, Christian ministry email me and say, can I just talk to you on the phone? <laughs> so, uh, and what they hear as is you're racist. That, so the word racist might not be used, but it's it's there's a lot of shame <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of shame and they're hearing i i'm being seen as racist that's what they're hearing yeah well and i'm gonna uh, bob's got another one that we're gonna pull up and again i just pulled this from the internet it's from a private college uh called Ju william jewel college i don't know anything about them um but it was helpful because they included their assessment for their uh, many of their student leaders. And what I thought was interesting here, and I'm gonna have Bob uh, scroll down for us. Um, we're gonna, yeah, just keep going a little bit right here is some, some kind of definitions of these different categories. And so if you're at the denial end I mean, that's, that's really not where you, where you want to be. You want to be over at the right-hand side of adaptation. And so even though it might not, the assessment might not call you a racist, it's definitely kind of seems like it's a, it's a posture yeah. or, or a potential you know, label or outcome and depending on what kinds of trainings and books and other activities yes. are assigned, it yes. seems like you could get that, that message. So, but denial is characterized by disinterest and avoidance mm -hmm. uh, to cultural differences. Whereas on the adaptation side, capable of shifting one's perspective or changing behavior in culturally appropriate ways, this perspective uh, enables deep cultural bridging, which that language sounds very pretty. Yes. That, that doesn't sound dangerous on, mm -hmm. on the surface. That those, I mean, learning and appreciating other cultures, that seems like it could be a worthy goal. Mm -hmm. But again, that calls our attention to your point of, mm -hmm. yeah, but what are the deep, deeper structural issues mm -hmm. and assumptions behind the tool? I don't know if you want to comment on any more well, of that at all. Right. So there is an empathy that is desired in intercultural competency. And, you know, empathy, I don't think has to be a bad thing, but are you able to hold on to your faith when you're able to see your see from someone else's perspective? Are you seeing in a place where inside you've got a boundary where you're like, okay, I can see how you feel that way, but that doesn't mean I have to agree with it. It doesn't mean I, I'm not allowed to judge it. Right. And I would say that my concern is, um, the, are we no longer allowed to judge it when we're adapting? And that's definitely the impression I get if transcendental universalism is considered ethnocentric, which definitely what the creator of the continuum is saying. The idea here then, as we've said, is that within the, the, the kind of the, I forget, the consultant 
mm-hmm. would create a plan of action for yep. the individuals or for the company. Yes. And then the participants would engage in those activities. Yes. Again, it could be book clubs or um, trainings or allyship statements mm-hmm. or, you know, different things. And then they would retake the assessment at a later time and then measure their improvement. And then I'm imagining report those results to the board or the top levels right. of, of leadership. Mm-hmm. And I'm imagining that this could even be included in part of your performance reviews. I would think so. My friend who did it while her score was not shared with her boss, she did talk with her, she did talk with her boss about some of her goals around it. So the score wasn't shared, but she was, so clearly people were conveying some of their plans, right? As far as, oh, now that I've taken this test and seen my score, I'm going to read this book, that kind of thing. Okay. So as people are using this tool within Christian organizations, I guess that makes me wonder what kinds of people are using it. Like, why would they be using this inventory? Yeah, I think this is the hard thing about it, right? Is I do feel like when you initially look at that website, it sounds really good, right? It's about loving others. It's about interculturally engaging. It's about being hospitable, you know? <laughs> I mean, things that we want to do as Christians. So it, it comes from that good place. But I really think that there's a, been a lack of discernment at looking at this tool closely. And yet, when we look even on the website for the IDI, there are Christian colleges and institutions that are mentioned. If you look on their who uses the IDI page on right on their public website, you can see, um, you know, that Bethel University is using it. Brigham Young University is using it. Um, there are North Park Theological Seminary, the YMCA. I mean, there's there are some Christian and Christian-influenced entities that are using this, as well as secular and even government entities. So this is, mm-hmm. and this is just a sampling mm-hmm. of the entities that are using this assessment. Um, mm-hmm. There's many more that do. It's just that these are the ones that that they have, you know, are are taking the time to list on their site. But you can even Google, which I did, of IDI consultants in. Mm-hmm. Christian higher ed. Here's here's one document that I found listing these IDI consultants that you can hire and bring into your Christian university or or ministry and that sort of thing. And I thought it was interesting that there was a Biola professor listed on here that is somebody that you could hire. Now I know that um, Dr. O'Quinn is no longer at Biola. So this is a few, a few years ago, it's a little dated, but just look at these other schools um, that are Christian institutions. There's North Park Seminary again, Tyndale, um, you know, the, there's a number of Christian, prominent Christian professors that are 
able to offer this service. So this, this isn't just, even though it has a context of being developed in a secular mm-hmm. space, it is being used widely in, in mm-hmm. Christian higher ed. So, mm-hmm. um, and so then I, I, I really went down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I, I just totally, I just, I, I got really, after reading your article, I got completely curious about, you know, who, who else is using this? And so I just started Googling like this inventory and then different school names. And so I saw that sure enough, there were two Biola, current Biola employees that are qualified, what are called QAs or qualified administrators Mm -hmm. of the IDI. They have it listed right there on their public LinkedIn page, uh, Mm -hmm. Stephanie Cali, Dr. Callie is uh, employed uh, at Biola. She's an ICS professor, and she has it right on her LinkedIn page that she's a QA for uh, the IDI, and um, right there in her about section. Um, And then also, uh, there's another gal, um, Alicia Miller Andre, is also on her public LinkedIn page. Uh, she calls herself a white identity development expert uh, for young young adults. I know that she runs the white affinity group at Biola for, for white students. And it's one of, she lists it right at the bottom of her LinkedIn page as being a um, one of her cert- certifications. So it's way at the bottom if, right there, qualified administrator. But my purpose in showing this is that, you know, Biola, which is a historically uh, conservative mm-hmm. Christian university is making use of this assessment tool. So that really makes me wonder like what makes this so appealing to Christian mm-hmm. organizations, because that's mm-hmm. this, this, it's obviously being used fairly widely. Yeah. And well, and two things. One is you bring this tool into an organization, you give just a portion of it, or you give all of it. And, you know, now that I've gotten multiple emails and I've heard stories from other people, from multiple institutions and um, Christian ministries, and there are people who are frustrated, angry, but because the, te- I mean, the test, I think the way I said it in the bottom of the article was like it all it gives the answers and the questions or it gives the questions and the answers and i'll just say the original way i wrote that is like how long have you been beating your wife <laughs> all right but that was too inflammatory to put in an article i think on mere orthodoxy so i didn't do that um but then you have all these people who have said but look they're all like minimizing they're all denying so we need this so it's like actually the frustration and people's pushing against it can be turned around to be said, well, then that means we need it, <laughs> right? Like, so I feel like it, it's sort of a setup. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think that part of the setup is similar to when you're talking about issues related, for example, to white fragility. You know, Robin D'Angelo's work is that the more that you deny that you're racist, the more that's used against you as evidence that you just don't see your racist. Yeah, exactly. racism. And so it becomes like this, this trap 
where there's really no way out of it. And so what we have to stop and think about is, okay, let's go back to the beginning to what you said of, you know, what is, what is behind the tool and this, this framework of constructivism, because Mm -hmm. we can all agree like, Hey, being, being able to appreciate other cultures is just being a good human. Like Monique and I, when we're on the road, she loves to sample foods from other cultures and, and we love to meet people from other cultures. And right now we're in Minneapolis and it's a very culturally diverse area. Yes. And, and there's a richness to that and we can have that conversation and that's cool, you know, mm-hmm. but that's, that's not really what's underlying this tool. And we have to think about, you know, what is that framework? It's going beyond just appreciating a culture and, and appreciating the people or the customs or the values. It's, it's really much more than that. And this Mm -hmm. issue of constructivism undermines the idea of human universals. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is really where we need to kind of unpack things a little bit more. The founder tells a story in the book where I found the most information. And his story illustrates to me this, and, and that is like, we can have a universal value and it can be expressed um, in different ways by different cultures. And so the one that I use the most with my students and that I mentioned in the article is honoring your parents. Like this is the one that my husband and I talk about on a regular basis. To me, you know, it's part of the Ten Commandments. That's probably a universal value. I see that I at least I see that as a universal value. Um, but for the creators of exam, the way we express that universal value. So, for example, if one culture's way of honoring their parents might be to um, bring them into the home, right? So in some cultures, that's what they do, right? They bring the parents into the home and take care of them. In another culture, it could be, I'm going to put them in a care home because these people are professionals <laughs> and I'll just go visit them on a regular basis. Uh, and that can be honoring your parents too. But um, but I think that there is this mistaken assumption from the test creator that no, no, these are two different values. I think what you would be arguing then is that there's a, a universal underlying value yes. of honor for parents, but that it can be expressed different ways. Yes. And whereas I think what you're arguing is that in the constructivist framework, it's the very value itself is a construct, that there yes. are no yes. universal moral principles in play. And well, so- if that's true, then what we would say that follows from that is that no one can critique the value system of any other culture. Mm-hmm. Yes. And why that's problematic for Christians is that we are making the claim that there are universal objective moral standards that we have to conform our lives to as Christians that are presented to us in the word of God. 
and that these universal moral standards are true in all times and all places Mm -hmm. for all people. Mm -hmm. Now, again, the expression of honoring father and mother can be different from, from culture to culture, but that there is a universal moral principle behind that. And so that's where I think that you're, you're trying to make the case that this is where it becomes problematic for Christians because we, we would get downgraded on the test if we say that there are universal moral principles or a, another way of saying that is that there are moral absolutes or rights, right or wrong. Is that kind of what you're arguing? Yeah. You are the theology mom. (laughs) (laughs) Very well said. That was great. Okay. Exactly what I'm arguing. And then the other concern is this idea that there's no similarity like you're not allowed to say there's similarities among humans which i i argue is like questioning the imago day because <laughs> we do have something in common <laughs> we've got the imago day in common yeah and i think that's worth kind of teasing out a little bit too because what the scriptural position is is that the image of god um as it's described in genesis 1 and other places is a unique feature of humanity. Yes. There's no other creatures that are created in the image of God other than humans. Uh, The psalmist in Psalm 8 says that God has created the humans a little lower than the angels. And the the import of that is that the humans are at the the crown of God's creation here on earth. And, And that because of that, we have intrinsic value, dignity, and worth the historic Judeo-Christian position has been because of the Imago Dei, we have a concept of human universals, like mm-hmm. something universal to the, to the human experience. There's mm-hmm. universal human longings to be cared for, to be mm-hmm. loved, to be heard, um, and mm-hmm. that there's universal ideals about being married and and the family as being the foundation of society and and uh the value and dignity of work and that Mm -hmm. god has created us male and female these are all kind of universal human ideas and where we get the concept of human rights and that sort of a thing and so i think what you're trying to say is that if I believe those things and I take the inventory with those things in mind, my score would drop. Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually one, I think it was a dissertation. It might've been a thesis. Um, One author who did interview groups of uh, religious leaders and realized in her interviewing of those religious leaders that five of them, no matter what would score for minimization because as she said, they had an approach of respectful dialogue. Their way of their intercultural competence was respectful dialogue, but they were going to still maintain that people had similarities, um, that there were universal values. Uh, but this test is not going to accept respectful dialogue as intercultural competence. 
it's not going to do that. And so it, you will always, I don't know about the whole test, but you will always have items that are scored in mo the monocultural mindset. If you like affirm universal values or similarities among humans. This is helpful because as we're unpacking this, what's really coming to me is, well, first of all, hope yeah. that there would be more research, that there would be more, um, you know, critical analysis of this inventory, that when something is just almost universally applauded, that that makes me wonder, you know, what's, what's happening here? Like, where are, the, where are the critical voices that are asking different questions? Um, so I think for me, that's a hope that sure. people would look into this. I mean, that, that's, that's some amazing ideas for a doctoral dissertation. Mm -hmm. You know, like we need more doctoral dissertations thinking about this because, you know, uh, tools do get debunked sometimes mm -hmm. and um, get put to the side. So I think that that's, that for me is like, one of the takeaways from this discussion. Um, but I'm also thinking that I'm wondering, it seems like what you're saying is that the tool rewards a type of cultural relativism. Yeah. Where we can't actually critique other cultures from a, a, a moral objective point of view. I'm wondering how that might impact concepts like seeing our identity in Christ or mm -hmm. um, seeing each other being created in, in God's image. Like I'm, that makes me think like, wow, that could have some serious impact um, from a Christian worldview standpoint and that I might get degraded on the test too. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to start seeing difference everywhere. And if we get into the mindset of this exam and we see those differences as, oh, this culture does it this way, this culture does that way, and we don't judge, which I think sometimes we have to judge because, as you said, we have universal values. Uh, I feel like we're unintentionally accepting assumptions that aren't Christian. I mean, I just kind of, I feel like I've seen, I don't know if I've seen it directly with this exam, but I've seen that happen to people I know. We unintentionally, we get focused on issues and we unintentionally accept some assumptions that believers should not be accepting. Well, and I think the difficulty in a lot of these types of assessments is that we can put so much weight right. on this kind of, psycho-emotional type of assessment and then we're potentially even attaching performance reviews or attaching ac activities uh, to the employee's um, good standing based on this tool. We really, I guess, I just want to offer a word of caution of like, let's, let's just step back for a minute and look at how much weight we're putting on this tool and how this can become uh, a correction. Right. And if scripture offers us what we need for life and godliness, you know, I want to make sure that it's the values that it's weighing line up with scripture. And I think mm -hmm. that you, you, you're just trying to raise the question, hey, what is the 
underlying framework and worldview assumption behind this tool. You know, our, even though we've imported it into Christian universities, is it weighting it in such a way that's consistent with the Christian worldview? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm imagining the skeptic would have a question for you, and you know, we'll kind of end with this that you, because you've said a couple of times that you know you didn't finish taking the test, so that <laughs> me, if I'm a skeptic and watching this, that makes me wonder, well, then how do you know? that what the framework is that underlies the test. How how do you know that? There's a book on it. And it's in, you can, if you go and read my article, you will see the book. So, yeah. I mean, there's also the article share a little bit about it, but the book covering the intercultural development continuum is the one that will show you, especially the language about, you know, this transcendent universalism, etc. So go check out Heather's article, Christian organizations should reconsider using the intercultural development inventory. And you can uh, just take a look at it for yourself. Look at all her footnotes, weigh it out. I think it's at least worth asking, given how influential this tool has become and given how much weight is being assigned to it, I think it's a worthwhile thing to just at least ask the question and explore the worldview behind the tool to see, hey, is this actually consistent with historic Christianity? I think, Heather, you've at least raised enough questions to say we need further investigation. We've got to have a more robust discussion about this in Christian higher ed. And Mm -hmm. we can't just blindly take this in um, without thinking about it from the standpoint of the Christian Mm -hmm. worldview. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I agree that more questions need to be raised. And um, but I would love for others to, especially someone who has become an administrator, like to go and look at all those questions closely and look um, at the assumptions. Very good. Well, thanks for having the conversation with me and just highlighting this inventory and helping us look deeper at it, because I know that regular people aren't aware of it. But people who are in missions, sending agencies, intercultural studies, Christian higher ed and nonprofits are likely have been through this assessment or something similar. And so it's really good to get us get it on our radar so that we can have a more robust discussion about it. So thank you so much for your work on this. You are welcome. Thank you for having the discussion with me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that that's going to wrap it up for now. And again, this is just a special edition of all the things. And uh, we will be back with full shows, God willing, in January. But maybe I'll do another couple of these as topics come up uh, while we're on hiatus. I just... um, thought this was a good topic and wanted to keep the discussion going because I know a lot of you right now are looking at colleges for next year for your kids. You're looking at making these decisions. You're researching it. And so much of this is like inside baseball type of stuff. Like only the professionals know about what's happening. And I've had enough 
conversations with people as a result of my previous discussion with Joy to know that this is a rabbit hole that goes really deep, but people are super grateful that I'm trying to highlight it in a way that normal people can understand and getting the word out there to help people understand what this is. That when you come across these, these things in your, your kids' homework assignments or when you come across this terminology on a school's website, it, this is not a rogue prof. This is stuff that is embedded in the processes and the culture from the top down. This affects how um, the vice president of academic affairs, how provosts hire, how they promote, how they give tenure, um, what kinds of programs they enact, and this type of assessment is part of that larger conversation of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and um, just trying to educate people a little bit more about these things. So I'm learning too. Um, it's and I have been out of higher ed for a long time. I've been kind of on the fringes, but. I am trying to share my research and data with all of you so that you can be more informed, ask better questions in your own efforts to find um, destinations for your kids as they are going to college. So I hope you have found this stream helpful. Uh, I look forward to your comments and, and um, you know what you're learning from these discussions or if you have data, that you want to share with me about your experience in Christian higher ed or your kids' experience. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.